What gave you the idea that the president would be assassinated? I just happened to know, that's all. You have a premonition? I've got a devil of a lot more than a premonition. Lincoln will be assassinated unless somebody tries to prevent it. I shall try to prevent it if you can convince me that you're neither drunk nor insane. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. Welcome back to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys enjoyed our episode about dust. I hope you enjoyed it for for two weeks because, you know, we made the dust and it went around and it made it made the episode feel like it lasted two weeks. So you had to believe in the power of the dust. Yeah. Well, That's- hopefully you've rewatched it and re-listened to our episode last week and pretend like it was new again. Yeah. So because... Uh, <laughs> speaking about going back and doing things this feels like that's that's a good it's a good intro into this episode uh we're we're going to be talking about uh season two episode 13 back there uh air date Mm -hmm. january 13th 1961 uh number one song no longer elvis are you lonesome tonight it is wonderland by night uh by bert uh compet it's k-a-e-m P-F-E-T. I'm pretty sure that's a U.S. release because I don't know if I looked at the wrong chart. I don't know if that's like, you know, like popular in Germany <laughs> at the time. I don't know. Um, number one film is still Swiss Family Robinson. Uh, on this date, um, there, uh, Julia Louise Dreyfus was born. So happy birthday. Well, uh-huh. I'm not happy birthday to her, but that's when she was born. Uh, and also, this is just an odd bit of trivia. Um Lim Winchester, which I thought this was going to be a gun thing. It is a gun thing, but not the way you think. An American jazz musician was accidentally accidentally killed himself while demonstrating a gun trick that backfired. Oh, no. And I feel like, isn't that like the literal term of backfire? Like, isn't that kind of what happened? Like, it's I don't know what happened. <laughs> and the fact that the guy's name was Winchester and he was not associated with the family. So, yeah. Yeah. That, that was his fate. He was born to that. <laughs> right? He just did not know that's what was going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's all I have is just, uh, you know, a very funny person was born and, and someone someone died in probably a horrifically but kind of funny way. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was going to say a not so funny way, but I guess it depends on your uh, your sense of humor. It just depends um, on like what, what the gun trick was. You know, if the gun trick's like, hey, guys, watch me as I put it up to my head, that's not a funny <laughs> trick. But if it's more like, hey, watch as I throw it up in the air and try to catch it or whatever, and it's just like, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what the trick was. So I need context. I don't know if that's that funny either. <laughs> I would be terrified if somebody's like, hey, check out this gun trick and just throws a loaded gun up in the air. That sounds terrifying. <laughs> so un- unrelated. <laughs> no to, interest in seeing that trick live. Un- unrelated to, to that. But speaking of sudden questionable deaths, Recently, in the past like week and a half, there was a story of a celebration at like a, in New York City. It was like some some building. They were out on this balcony. It was some Australian group of people, and I think they were out celebrating the the vote uh, that they had in the nation to about um, same sex marriage or not. I, I I think that was the context, and they were yeah. out for whatever reason they were in America, and one of the guys made like like a lewd comment or an aggressive uh, a pass towards another man's wife at this party. And, and so in a way to try to make up for it, that guy was like, well, I'm going to go and lean over the edge over of this building and it's going to be like a trust fall. And he fell to his death. And it was like oh. one of those things where it's like, there was just a series of questions of like, what was this guy doing at this party the entire time? And then that's the way he went out. Like, it was a really weird thing I read about. I'm like, first, this guy's is making passes or bad comments. And he's like, no, 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 I'll make it up to you guys. Catch me. And then he just falls off a building. What? I don't know. It was weird. 
That that is very strange. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even. I don't even know how to react to that. I know it's like it's I mean, ridiculous. but it, had he fallen out a window, I think you would have been like, "Well, that feels like the Twilight Zone to me." So there you yeah, go. I I don't understand <laughs> falling to your death any other way than falling out a window. Yeah, um, I I can't even fathom it. Um, so uh, spoiler: nobody falls out a window in this episode. No, no so, that's true. So I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> All right, so we'll jump into cast and crew here. Uh, this episode was directed by David Orrick McDearman, who we have discussed about uh, on the episode Execution and Thing About Machines. Um, interesting enough, this episode is about time travel, and it's kind of the reverse of Execution, which is which is cool because they also have the same lead actor in it. Yeah, um, and then, yeah. and then the, the most important thing, aside from the fact that I have to mention for a third time, that uh, he directed an episode of Johnny Midnight, and I went back to my previous notes to check, and I also said during execution, or sorry, I think about machines, don't forget to mention Johnny Midnight, so I wanted to do that a third time. Um, <laughs> the featured music in here is by Jerry Goldsmith, and I wanted to mention that because I know that's going to be a point of discussion here. So, that's- Yeah, it definitely is. I, I had written it down i'm i'm kind of bad sometimes because we've we've run into a lot of stock music and a lot of reused music and um we're kind of bad about bringing it up but this is definitely noteworthy and i will get into how i feel about the music as we talk about the episode yeah um but this is written by rod serling um i think next episode we do we're finally going nope next episode is rod serling and then the invaders after that is uh, Matheson. So uh, got a little little run this season of uh, Sterling stuff. So yeah. Um, so we'll jump into cast here. We got uh, the return of Russell Johnson, who plays Pete Corrigan, who uh, everyone will know as the professor on Gilligan's Island. And I apologize if I refer to him as the professor during the <laughs> plot of this episode, because that's how I took all of my notes yeah. as the professor does this or that. <laughs> right. And it's like he kind of went on a three hour tour. We don't really know how long it took place. Yeah. It felt pretty quick. Um, so yeah, that was it, and it's weird that he was in an episode directed by the same guy, and it and it was also an episode involving time travel. So that feels like yeah. until Gill- Gilligan's Island came along, he was going to get typecast as the time traveling guy, you know, and <laughs> then he got typecast yeah. as the island professor guy. Yeah, it's just fun because this episode he's the one time traveling. The other one he brought back somebody else who ended up being a uh, maniac. Yeah. So. Um, it's fun. I, I read somewhere somebody com- kind of uh, described it as him uh, making up for the mistake he made in the last episode <laughs> he was in. I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, I, I, that's, but, uh, I didn't think about that, but that, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, he was also in an episode of Why and I. So we'll move on. Uh, Paul Hartman, who plays a police sergeant. This is only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, probably most well known for his role as Emmett on the Andy Griffith show. He was in uh, Inherit the Wind. Kind of, kind of interesting. He and his wife were uh, big on Broadway. They were dancers, and they had a big hit that led to one of the earliest sitcoms called The Hartmans, which ended up not doing very well, just because I guess the writing was atrocious on it, and um, and unfortunately his wife passed away a few years after it had started, but um. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting because, um, you know, I, I should have looked up. I'm curious to see what the earliest TV sitcom actually is. But this was from 1949. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, I was reading about them and it was like they were, like you said, dancing. But they were kind of a dance comedy team that they were in the same breath as like Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. But you don't really think of them like I, I didn't I wasn't aware so you would Me think, neither. I wasn't yeah. familiar at all. And it's just, you got to think of like, you know, there's probably contemporaries of a lot of things that we like that for whatever reason just didn't didn't stick around like the ones that we remember, you know? So that's kind of how it felt like with this gentleman. Yeah. It just seems like he was on the verge of becoming like remembered like that, but things just kind of fell apart pretty fast for him. And it's unfortunate, you know? Um, and then it, also his father, I guess, was a big... Uh, silent film director. Oh, okay. Yeah. So just wanted to bring that up. Some interesting historical context with uh, one of the actors. Uh, next one, next one, excuse me. We have Bartlett Robinson who plays William. 
Uh, he was in one other Twilight Zone episode, To Serve Man, which is a fairly famous one. Uh, one episode of Y and I, and I wrote down Woody Allen's Sleeper just because it was probably his biggest uh, movie he worked on. Okay. I It's funny. For whatever reason, I just forgot to look this guy up. So I'll take your word on all that. Like I looked, I was like, I was like Bartlett <laughs> well, Robinson. Well, jokes on you because I made all of that up. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like Bartlett Robinson is William. Moving on. Like I just, yeah, you know, I completely blank. So well, that's cool. he's he's got a pretty important role. So I wanted to make sure we mention him. Yeah. Um. Next up, we have John Lassell, uh, I believe it's pronounced, who plays Jonathan Wellington. Or does he? It. Oh, yeah, sorry. I'll leave it at that until we get to that point of the story. Um, he was also in Hawaiian Eye. Um, so we have so far three people, as far as I know, including Russell Johnson, that have been on Hawaiian Eye. So I'll continue my infatuation with this show that I'll never see. Um, this was his only Twilight Zone, and he was probably best known for his. He was. Uh, he had a role on As the World Turns, the soap opera that aired for about fifty years. Um, and he had a fairly big role on Dark Shadows. Yeah, I was going to say he played a character for 25 episodes of that. So, I mean, that's probably, what, three days worth of Dark Shadows? And Yeah, and he, I feel like he was kind of channeling that Dark Shadows vibe with his performance yeah, this episode. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it looks like he was also the segment of Night Gallery later. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess did good enough to come back for another Sterling project. Yeah. Um, next up, we have Jimmy Lydon, who plays the Patrolman. This was his only Twilight Zone. This guy looked really familiar to me, and uh, I cannot find anything that I recognize him from going through his filmography. It looks like his biggest role, and the thing that kind of put him on the map, was a series in the 40s. There were these B-movie, I guess, comedies, um, and he it, they were called Henry Aldrich films, and he played the main character, Henry Aldrich. And... Um, he was it looked like there were about 20 films on his filmography mm. and that was the kind of thing that put him on the map um and it's funny looking at him when he played that character it's like he never aged <laughs> that that 15 years in between he still looks like a little kid in this it's kind of funny that's funny yeah um but yeah i i he looks so familiar i don't know if he just looks like another actor that i can't put my finger on but I, I couldn't find anything. Yeah, there was a couple in here that just, I mean, I feel like once you, like when you play like these stock characters, like you, you kind of think that you see them everywhere, you know? And so, and there's some very, very not unique faces here, but like, like for a second, I, like I swear the guy that plays Jonathan Wellington, the uh, John LaSalle, I swear I've seen him other places, but he wasn't anything I've ever seen before. So yeah, and yeah, he kind of had a limited filmography. He did yeah. a few important things, but um, yeah, th there wasn't much on there. So um, last person I took notes on, and then you can uh, <laughs> go further if you'd like. I put Raymond Bailey, who plays Millard in this. He had a very big role on Beverly Hillbillies as Milburn Drysdale. And then uh, he was also in the escape clause in one later Twilight Zone episode. So we'll see him once again on the show. Yeah, so I'll, um, I have I have a couple bits here, uh, sure. Because the names are all kind of interchangeable, and a lot and a lot of this was so. Some characters were on the screen longer than they needed to be. You know, we'll get, I mean maybe we'll kind of get to that, but then some of them just kind of zipped right by. Uh, Raymond Greenleaf, which is that's a great name, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, as uh, as Jackson, whoever that is. Um, he was in Johnny Midnight. Just had to mention that. Uh, John Eldridge as Whitaker. Don't know who that is now. Uh, it was also in Johnny Midnight. Because I just wanted to keep mentioning. So now there's <laughs> there's three Johnny Midnight's versus three Hawaiian Eyes. So we'll see what the tiebreaker is, and I don't know what that is because I have no other notes uh, about those those shows. Um, I got bigger names in uh, Hawaiian Eye. It's that's fair. Just gonna uh, leave it at that. We got Russell Johnson. That's true. So how about uh, that? Gene <laughs> uh, ends as Mrs. Lander. I think that was the lady who ran uh, the boarding house. Uh, that's correct. She was uh, Sister Agnes and Rosemary's Baby in an uncredited role. Um, oh. Lou Brown as lieutenant. I guess I didn't find anything for him. So he was a lieutenant. Congratulations. Uh, Carol Eve Rosen as lieutenant's girl. Uh, she was in the Fury and the Stepford Wives. And when you see her, she was the girl getting ready for the ball or not the ball, the play. Um, very pretty girl. So I could see how yeah. that like but it's the Stepford Wives. I was like, well, that makes sense to me because she had a very, you know, look that, like you just, I mean, was it attractive and blonde and, and a white girl? Of course she was in the Stepford Wives. Uh, <laughs> 
And Nora Marlowe was the chambermaid. Maybe she was the older lady. I, I apologize, people. I watched this episode a week ago, and I watched it twice to prepare for the show, and then we got set back a little bit. And so some of these names are not not flowing together the way they should. Um, hey. Yeah. <laughs> I I haven't watched it too long ago, and uh, I don't remember anyone's name it, outside it, of the like top three people. And, and I think that's kind of what we'll get to. This It's kind of a problem. Uh, Nora Marlowe, she was chambermaid. She was in Westworld, the original. And then um, mm-hmm. the the attendant, who was the older, older gentleman uh, at the end, I believe that was the older gentleman, the one that, you know, we'll get to the story. Yeah. He yeah. was Mr. Wilson in a walking distance, the guy that was asleep in the back of the store that had died years ago, but was there because the gentleman, because talking about time travel, because the main character went back to his hometown and Mr. Wilson was still alive taking a nap. So that was, yeah. that was him. So there uh, you go. Probably not going to be the last time that we bring up walking distance in this. Yeah. I got some notes. There you go. So that's it. Confusing, confusing names. Uh, bland names, big cast, and then some Hawaiian eye. That's all I got. Yeah. So I think that does it. Uh, let's let Serling take it away. Witness a theoretical argument. Washington, D.C., the present. Four intelligent men talking about an improbable thing like going back in time. A friendly debate revolving around a simple issue. Could a human being change what has happened before? Interesting and theoretical because... Whoever heard of a man going back in time? Before tonight, that is. Because this is the Twilight Zone. Mr. Serling sitting there in the, the gentleman's club. That's what I want to call the Potomac Club. Because it truly is a club full of gentlemen. He's just yeah, hanging out. I, I, just, I loved it. I, I like how he presents uh, time travel as if we've never seen it on this <laughs> show before. Like, who's ever, who's heard, ever of heard of travel? time travel? <laughs> like definitely not us uh, who have seen it uh, maybe a half dozen times so far <laughs> in the first two seasons. You could almost make a season of time travel episodes. Not really. But uh, but yeah, I just like he's like, how ridiculous. Like it was almost like you expect him to to be like, it's absurd time travel, you know. But I like that he was like sitting in the chair because I mean, we'll get to the, the beginning of the story in a second. But I like how the conversation and the camera moves over to him sitting looking at a, a newspaper. And I know, well, I yeah, I love because the episode uh, starts out on the street and it's on the Potomac Club and it's uh, slowly zooming in. And once it gets close enough, it fades into them zooming in on four guys playing cards around a table, having a conversation. Uh, if you look in the wide shot when they're doing the interior shot, you can see Serling covering his face with the newspaper in that. Shot. Oh, I didn't know. So he's that. actually there in the establishing shot. It's incredible. That's cool. I love it. That's really cool. Like you know me, like I've, I've, I've been digging this like spot the Serling. You know the way they kind of put him into the episode. It's not that not that he's hiding, but you know what I mean. Like uh, the way they yeah, I had to go back and double check because I was like, I wonder if he was there in the establishing shot. And sure enough, you see his brows sticking up over the newspaper in the corner of the screen. That's really really cool. <laughs> Yeah, so it makes it even even better when they uh, pan over to him and he puts the newspaper down. Yeah, so uh, I guess you, you mentioned that we did a zoom in on the Potomac Club, which at first, the first time you, you see this episode, which I mean, if you've watched it multiple times, I guess, for a show that's like, what, 20 some minutes long, I was like, man, this this intro, like the, the slow zoom felt like it, it felt unnecessary. I'm like, I get it. I get where we're at. Later on, it makes more sense. But at first, I'm like, wow, they're in no hurry here. There must not be much going on. It's kind of how it felt to me. I'm like, we're just going to burn some time zooming in on the Potomac Club. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like it, though. I like um, it, I don't want to get into a uh, bashing party here of this episode because there are some problems. But one thing I will not complain about is how this episode is shot. Yeah. So I I kind of like the slow, deliberate camera camera movements that uh, um, they were doing in this episode. No, and, and I, that's fair. I mean, I I guess maybe I, the, the 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 directing is perfectly fine. There are some decisions of how to tell the story, though. I wonder about, and we're going to get there in a second. Um, okay. And I, I think I'm interested. I think I'm it's more. Now. I think it's more the script than it is the direction because I think you're kind of handed a very um, uh, vague concept of how to get from A to B and how do you execute that, you know? So no pun intended for the director in the previous episodes. 
Okay. Um, yeah. All right. I think I know where you're getting at with that then. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's there's kind of a clear lack of uh, I I don't I don't know um, it's it's just well there's really no sense like there needs to be a sense of urgency in this story and we'll get to it um, but it really doesn't feel like there are much stakes no but it's so, weird it's it's very strange I don't even know how to express <laughs> the problem with that it just feels like everything. I don't know. It's just, it, it's strange. We'll, we'll get to it. Yeah. I don't want to jump ahead. That's why I'm trying not yeah. to step on myself, uh, trying to get there. So you, you hear the, the people talking at the gentleman's club. I'm always going to call it that. Uh, they're talking about time travel and like the, the problems with it or the concept of it. And the professor's like, well, that's not, this is the time travel can never happen, you know? And, and basically they're arguing, could you, if you could go back to the day before the stock market crashes, uh, and, and, you know, basically set up the right investments, you know, would you do that? And he says something interesting there where he argues that, well, you know, what if me going back is what causes it to happen early? You know, and he argues that the, the actual stock market crash is a fixed point in time and that there's nothing you could do about it anyway. And it's just this yeah. weird, like he kind of he kind of talks out both sides of his mouth one saying well what if i cause it to happen early and also it was going to happen no matter what what goes on is it, interesting in the it's kind of a modern it's a modern idea about about time travel in the sense that i and this yeah, will speak to I'm, the time yeah. travel paradox yeah which which is a big thing now and i know again we've talked about time travel quite a bit on the show but a lot of times now that's what time travel stories really hang their hat on is how to deal with that paradox. Well, even like something like doctor who not to get too far off the reservation here, uh, there, there was an episode called the fires of Pompeii. Uh, it's a really good episode, by the way, if you, if you like doctor who, I guess. Um, and they dealt with the, the destruction of Pompeii and there's a decision that the doctor has to make where either he could stop the thing from going on that could actually save Pompeii or you know if he does do that it kind of takes one of these fixed points and times out and it will destroy like everything else so he has to weigh in his mind of do I kind of unravel time and screw it all up to save these people or do I let it happen anyway that way so much other things can happen in the future that are good and it's this very it's a very heavy idea you know like because you're you're basically sentencing these people to die when you know you could very well save them you know, yeah, and, but you have no idea what the repercussions later down the road could be for saving them. So yeah, so, uh, uh, so yeah, they they definitely don't go that deep in this episode. They kind of present the idea and then uh, they give you a little snippet of what could happen, but they definitely don't go to that deep of a philosophical uh, yeah um, point I, with this. So so basically, you know, um, Corrigan, uh, Professor Corrigan, I don't know what to call him. Uh, he says, okay, guys, I got to go, you know, this has been fun, but this is, you know, basically he, he calls it a bunch of, he thinks it's a bunch of rubbish, you know, like, you know, what, what's the point of this? And as he's walking out of the, the room, he, uh, he bumps into uh, a gentleman holding a tray and it's a, yeah. it's a servant there, like a butler the type, at- the attendant, the attendant. Um, and he, you know, they bump and he spills, you know, drink or whatever all over him and he apologizes and um and basically then he asks him like uh like what time it is or what the date is which was kind of a yeah. weird thing to do yeah you know? it's it's a really awkward uh situation that you know why he's asking him and it doesn't make sense <laughs> <laughs> like is they're talking about time travel and he's like what's what's the date today yeah you know he's like april 14th 1961 and it's just it's really clumsy yeah how that whole thing happens um, so yeah, you find out that the, the attendant's name is William, which is going to come back later on in the episode. So he ends up leaving the club and, uh, as soon as he gets outside, the, sh- the shot kind of starts going in and out of focus and, uh, comes back a few times and it pans over to a lamp that's on the steps going down to the sidewalk. And that lamp goes from electric to being an oil lamp. Yeah. But I mean, in the meantime though, uh, he he's he's standing there and, and the, the 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 camera's like it's 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 going out of focus and it's like pulsing and he's holding his head 
like he has like a, like the like like a headache or something, and that was what I was saying about like I'm sure Sterling was like in the script, and then suddenly Corrigan feels a strange sensation. His you know his feet. He's probably not like sure on his feet, and he looks over at an electric lamp, and it becomes a gas lamp. And I'm sure the director's like, I don't know, out of focus. Like I don't know, like you know, <laughs> just like how do you, you know? Yeah, that, that's something that definitely works better on paper. Uh, to be vague, but I I didn't have an issue with it because I mean you brought up walking distance earlier on the episode, and that's that's something where we've seen this in the series where whether or not it's for budgetary restraints aside, um, they have very simple ways of showing time travel or showing that something is happening that is uh, supernatural or whatever um, or extraordinary. Uh, so. I kind of like it because it's very simplistic. It gets the point across what's happening. And I, I guess the conversation that happened two minutes ago also gets the point across <laughs> about what's happening. Uh, well, you said so yourself though. Like, I mean, I guess maybe it's just a matter of style and they want to do something different, but like walking distance, there's no, there's no effect. He just goes to the town and he's already back there. Um, and well, they could have put that uh, mystical noise that we love so much. Yeah. <laughs> Would yeah. that have been better? <laughs> no, but they could have easily, because the transition of the electric lamp to uh, the gas lamp is fine. And then it could just cut yeah, back to I, him. I like that. He, he could just cut back to him looking at that being like, what just happened? And then him looking down and seeing his clothes have changed. You know, something like that would have been, like, I think would have been smoother and it wouldn't have been so on the nose like uh oh like i mean you already know you're going back in time i mean like the whole the whole conversation sets it up rod sterling winks at you and be like who's ever heard of time travel and then you see the lamps change i don't need like you know i i I mean i know this is i'm talking from someone who's looking at this years later and you know going back there haha uh but it just it (laughs) it just felt so like it felt so low low budget and i and, and and twilight zone doesn't necessarily feel low budget to me you know, like that's, that's what it felt like. It, it just, it didn't feel, it just felt like they're just like, we got nothing here as opposed to let, let's, let's work with what we have and, and, and do something cool. And this was just, I just feel like it was like the, I, I can't speak for that because I don't have any notes about why that decision was made. I know I'm making a bigger deal about it than I should. It just, it uh, bugged me. It really bugged I'm, me. I'm going to take a guess and say budget. Um, yeah, but, and it could be his, uh, David Ork McDiarmid's direction, because I'm trying to remember in execution how exactly the time travel is shown. It was through the machine in that one. Yeah, well, so in the beginning, you had, you know, what's his face? Uh, angry, you got the, angry you got the hanging going on. And, and that was in the shadow. You saw the silhouette. Just, yeah, and he just vanishes. So. Yeah, and, and, then, okay. and then at the end of that, you had the guy in the time diamond. Uh, it all makes sense if you guys watch the episode. Uh, and he, I think there was like a bright flash if I remember right, and I'm probably not remembering that correctly at all. And then it, it goes back to that same silhouette showing another body in there. And so yeah. there was, it was, it was more elegant, you know, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, and, and you talk about like the sleight of hand. I mean, <laughs> even something like, um, uh, f- the, the last flight, it was just like, it was a cloud that you didn't see, you know? Okay, <laughs> fine. Moving on. You know, yeah. Just, well, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like this is in the same vein because they're not overly explaining the time travel. You know, it's just, well, they're not explaining it, but they showed something and they didn't. And I feel like to, to, to the negative point of the episode, not that this is a bad episode and we'll get more into how we feel about it. It it, it definitely, it knocked it down a little bit when it's like, that's the, the, you, you didn't need that to get where you're going because you already have enough budget to shoot like, you know, the, the, the the way the lamp's going to be. And then you have the reverse tracking or, or shot not tracking but you pull back from the atomic club and you see it's he's back in time and you see horse-drawn carriages you see people in in period costumes you have enough money you're showing it on the screen you don't need you don't need foggy headache time you know that's that's all like well here's i guess my argument i i i don't i guess it's not so much an argument but when he (laughs) goes back to the future if you will um (laughs) i really didn't want to say that term but it came out anyway um so when he goes back to uh, current time, 1961, not our current time. <laughs> All right, let me let me get this uh, out. Um, the way that you find out that he's back to 
his time is that you hear the sound of cars and everything driving by. Yeah. So they didn't do the blurriness. You just hear off camera the sounds of uh, modern time. Yeah. So like, yeah, I I guess right there. See, I'm I'm trying to argue with you, but I just proved myself <laughs> wrong because uh, <laughs> they didn't use the same effect to go to travel through time the second time. So I guess that's yeah, that's bad. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess it's just like they're just like they're like listen, uh, Mr. Oric McDearman, that costs fifteen dollars. We don't have that anymore. Can you please not do that again? You know, like I'm sure whatever. I love was. I love how I just talked myself into uh, <laughs> how sloppy this episode was. I was trying to defend it, and I just uh, <laughs> I just proved you right. It's a small nitpick, but I I guess it's just it's just that something that really stuck out for me, especially the second time I watched it, and it does not impact the story being told, it does not impact anything else. It was just a goofy bit. And I've spent too much time beating this poor Hyperion of a dead horse into the ground. So I am sorry. I apologize to everybody, but let's, uh, let's move on to the, to the other. Hold on. Yeah. I got one more statement on the time travel. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm going to leave it with this. Uh, I like when they do the simplistic stuff, like this isn't too, uh, this isn't too audacious. No, um, no, no. I, I agree. I, I like when they do the simplistic stuff where they don't rely on technology that's going to date the episode because execution does rely on a ridiculous HD Wells uh, looking time machine. And as much as I love the design of like the HD Wells time machine, um, it does date things, you know. So the fact that they just have people appear in a different time and then try and figure out what's happening, it it makes a more timeless story. So I, I agree. So. Yep. All right. So we will move on from the time travel uh, issue of this episode. Um, so he leaves the club and uh, goes back in time. And um, he decides the first thing he needs to do is go home. Well, the first thing he does, he decides to do is pound on the door of the Potomac Club, which I'm. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. And then and then the music is playing uh, the John Williams uh, score. Now, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. God damn it. <laughs> John God Williams and Star Wars. God damn it. Jerry Goldsmith. Yes, the Jerry Goldsmith music, and I was just. Do you, do you ever have those mental like ticks in your head? And you're just like, I know that's not yeah. right, but I'm going to say it anyway. Yeah. I, I, gotta, I love it because now you reverse the Star Wars thing. Yeah. Oh man. Now I got a time headache. Can we? Anyway, the music is a. Uh, the music's really, really good here. That's yeah. This this might be my favorite. Um, yeah, I'm going to say this is my favorite music we've heard in a Twilight Zone episode so far. Yeah. Um, I know there are more famous scores that are going to happen later on in the series, but as of this moment, uh, this is my favorite score I've heard for a Twilight Zone episode. This uh, I immediately went and found a recording of this so I can listen to it. I changed my phone ringtone to this. I am uh, I am obsessed with the music in this episode. It is so incredibly evil. It is sounding, yeah. and it, it almost doesn't fit this episode. Um, cause you feel like something really bad is going to happen because of it. It's got this real like mal- malevolent, just a sense of dread that it creates. So, and, uh, it, it works too well for the episode cause there's really, there's really no dread in this episode no, at all, not. Uh, but you feel like something's going to happen because of it. So it kind of keeps you, um, it kind of keeps you on the edge of your seat just because of the music. Well, so uh, to to make you feel better, knowing that this music is probably better served elsewhere, is that portions of the score were later used in the episode's Death Ship. I think it's an episode. I think it's called Death Ship, unless it's the movie Death Ship. I don't think that's right. And Nightmare at Twenty Thousand Feet. So that feels better. All right. Yeah. Is there an episode called Death Ship of Twilight Zone? Why did I write that down? Anyway. So, there, there's an 80s uh, horror movie called Death Ship, what, yeah, which we've talked about previously fun. on this episode. It's it's great, um, but anyway, so yeah, yeah, there is a Twilight Zone. Okay, good. I'm glad my notes were right for one. But and I also wrote down. I mean, I did write down Jerry Goldsmith too. So who knows? Anyway, so <laughs> he decides after pounding on the door, they won't let him back in the Potomac Club. He goes to his home, his home address, and he pounds on the door there too. So I just want to point out that he does a lot of door pounding in this episode. Yeah, he sure does. So uh, a woman lets him in uh, and 
he's like, this used to be my house. This was, this used to be the oldest house on the block or in the city or whatever. And, uh, he eventually asked her, do you have a room? And she's like, I don't, I don't have time for all this. (laughs) (laughs) Come here, pounding on my door, asking about what the oldest house is. So randomly she asks him, are you an army veteran? Or what do you do? And he's like, yes, I am. Uh, I'm also an engineer. So as soon as he says that she's, uh, Mrs. Landers is her name. Um, She's like, oh, a working man. Okay, all right. So she starts to lead him up, and that's when, uh, um, what's her name, Carol Eve Rawson's uh, character comes down the step, and she's getting ready. And as they're about to leave, Mrs. Landers tells her to uh, be sure to applaud the president. And this kind of sticks into into the professor's head, (laughs) uh, Corrigan's head. See, here we go again. and he's like, wait a second. Uh, you said something about the president. Who is the president? And they say, it's Lincoln. And uh, I, I like how they, <laughs> with all these questions, they're like, what, what's your deal? Like, what, yeah. what side of the war did you fight on? You know? Well, I um, liked also, like, whenever she was walking him up the steps, uh, the, the lady who runs the place, and the moment he, that sna- like, the, the idea pops off in his head that, wait, this is that night, he immediately does a snap turn and looks at her. It's just a very aggressive movement, and it made me laugh the first time I watched it. It was just almost like, it was almost like a cartoon character of, like, what did you say was going on? Like, like yeah, well, yeah. Uh, she says they're going to see a play at Ford's Theater. Yes. They're going to see a, our American cousin, and the date. Now it's April 14th, 1865. And obviously that is the night that Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth. So he starts putting things together uh, very quickly and very ridiculously, yeah. <laughs> as Paul pointed out. Um, I guess it's a good point to talk about Russell Johnson's character in this episode. Um, well, I guess his performance, not so much his character, but he is stiff. He is uh, at times over the top <laughs> yeah and it's not that good no it's not and i honestly like it, it gets to the point of being ridiculous like even by the end when um <laughs> when it, it, there are some lines he delivers that are so over the top and ridiculous but at the same time wouldn't like i said i don't know how you can do that <laughs> no it's, it's, I, I it's just, not good i guess there's a reason he got typecast into playing that stiff straight character for so long because i that was just his style i guess yeah because i mean i can only think of him from this island earth and gilligan's island honestly and that's pretty much he was uh, always supposed to be that was he in this island earth or yeah, he was, was it uh um i okay well um, clearly my my grasp um, of logic and, and facts and everything is like left me tonight so let me double check that though. what is what is the other uh it came from outer space. Was he in this island Earth I'm as well? Pretty sure he was in this island Earth. I'll, yeah. I'll double check that. The reason I thought that is because uh, here's why: because Mr. Science Theater 3000, the movie, did this island Earth, and they kept talking about how everything was made out of coconuts the entire time with him on the screen. Um, <laughs> yeah, he was. Yeah, okay. yeah, he also plays a doctor in that. So yeah, I mean, so uh, again, doctors, professors, everything, just straight laced, uh, stiff, wooden, terrible characters. <laughs> Yeah, he's not great. Uh, again, I mean, like, so uh, I guess I'll tip my hand a little further here, too, that this was supposed to be an hour-long script that Serling was shopping around because he it wasn't intended to be a Twilight Zone episode. It was just more like an hour-long, like, you know, very similar to Time Element in the sense of, like, it was going to be its own little story. And there was no other TV studios at the time doing hour-long anthology um, shows other than one, and they turned it down. So he just went and uh, kind of, I mean, I, for all intents and purposes, he gutted it and turned it into a 22-minute episode as opposed to probably a 45-minute one or, you know, 50-minute. Um, and you can see that. And I feel like the characterization, the realizations and the beats come really fast and not in a yeah, good way. Yeah, it's like breakneck speed. Yeah. Like everything just like one by one, everyone puts things together. Um, and that might go into what I was saying where there's really no tension in this episode. Yeah. Where everything just happens so fast, you have no time to build any sense of dread. And I guess maybe as an hour-long feature that this may have worked a little bit better. I I don't even know. I, I don't know. I I honestly don't think it would even be that much better being an hour long. I, maybe. I mean, I so... 
and I maybe you could develop a little bit more of a mystery going on, but because it tries. We're to. about to get into yeah. a mystery. Yeah, we're so, about to get into the mystery element of this. So let's move on so yeah. we can talk about this in full. So Corrigan, <laughs> he, he immediately cuts to him, which this is also made me laugh, and it shouldn't. After he finds out the, what night it is and what's going on, he immediately shows him at the back door of the theater, pounding on the door a third time. And then the next, the transition immediately is to a police station door opening, which is a really good transition. And he's just being drugged in by, uh, by the police, you know? So I thought that was actually kind of funny. Um, but they're basically, you know, just saying like this guy was like being a you know nut job at the theater and he's like shouting about how the president's going to get shot and like no one believes him, which seems, that seems about right. You know, like I, I will give the police force. That's probably the correct way to treat this person initially. Yeah. Yeah. So he explains what's what's going to happen. They don't believe him. They shove him in the cell. And at that point, we have the character of Jonathan Wellington uh, enter the enter the picture. So uh, he comes in immediately, goes up to the sergeant and asks him about the uh, uh, see. I wrote down to ask about the pro- the professor. Um, <laughs> asks about uh, um, Corrigan, and uh, he tells him like, "Why don't you?" let him into my custody i'll take responsibility for him so they he tells him like okay all right so the one officer that brought him in finally suggests that maybe we should send an extra guard just to be safe to the theater like not saying that we should send the whole police force or anything but maybe just to be on the safe side this guy might know something which is pretty smart yeah i also like like (laughs) yeah because he's just like well um you know, this guy's saying all this stuff and, you know, this is also the president that, you know, stopped the civil war. Maybe there's people out there that don't like him, you know, and like, that seems like a reasonable thing to kind of assume. Yeah. And I feel like the president's in town, somebody's screaming about somebody that's going to shoot him like that. Maybe yeah, <laughs> like I mean, maybe give it some credence. Um, so the captain finally says no and they let uh, Corrigan out. And we cut to Jonathan Wellington's apartment or boarding room, hotel room, whatever yeah. it is. Um, so we get we get Corrigan taking a drink that Wellington gives him. And uh, Wellington says that he's a doctor of the mind. And uh, Corrigan says a psychiatrist. He doesn't recognize the term. And I just thought that was a funny way to show the time period. Yeah. Um, so uh, Jonathan asks him how he knows what he knows. And at that point, Corrigan starts feeling faint and weak. And uh, he realizes that Wellington has drugged him in the drink that he's drinking. And uh, this is I I like the performance that uh, what, what is his name? John Lozell gives in this episode because he turns into such a like almost hammer horror villain. And uh, it. It, that's what I said that he kind of channels his dark <laughs> his dark shadows uh, background in this <laughs> like you because, expect well him, I guess in the future but yeah you expect him to almost back back away backwards without moving his feet you know like out the door backwards yeah. like staring <laughs> like he was like like he's like on a board like being pulled away like you know, that's the way he's kind of has that kind of menace you know like he yeah. has that look well he gives this little laugh and it was a fantastic little evil laugh um and i love the line as he goes out the door he says you know what i think i'm beginning to believe you and <laughs> then leaves the door yeah leaves through the door it's fantastic like such a great little line so uh yeah which is great and then which I I feel like then this is where I think maybe it being like a longer show would have been helpful to have that dynamic and that payoff work better because he's only in the episode for like you know what four minutes it feels like and he's gone and that's the last yeah, you see of him. It's really heavy handed too. Yeah, because I mean he's screaming about John Wilkes Booth and um, this guy showing up in an evil fur cape thing, you know. <laughs> yeah ridiculous like this is what reminded me of like hammer horror and stuff just the uh really gaudy gaudy uh uh outfits and everything's like i I want to talk about the set decorating in this as well like the set design on this is very busy and they were going for almost this like american colonial Mm -hmm. look to all the interiors but 
it's almost got like a Victorian vibe. Yeah, it which does. leans towards like the gothic horror stuff. And maybe that's why Hammer keeps coming to my mind, because it's those big Victorian uh, gothic horror sets, like period pieces that this is kind of reminiscent of. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's uh, it. It definitely has more more texture to it than some of the stuff we've seen recently. Just I think I think it does come down to budget, but also probably they probably had some sets already from you know yeah. the Civil War era like movies or whatever or whatever they want to you know use. So it it was a nice it was a nice element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. so then we cut to a scene of uh, that goes on entirely too long. <laughs> i think i know i think you know where i'm going with this where uh pete corrigan is just crawling around on the floor (laughs) trying to stand (laughs) and it's it's probably about 45 seconds to a minute of him just trying to grab onto things to stand up and failing yeah at Um, one point he's reaching for the 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 container that had the stuff that knocked him out before i'm like what are you doing like like, do you think drinking more of that's gonna help yeah (laughs) and then and then by the time so i just want to point out like he gets over to the door and just he kind of hits it lightly so he's pounding on the door still with what little strength that he has because this man hates doors and then he just kind (laughs) of passes out um and then the the people yeah what was it the the one officer that believed him uh shows up with uh the lady who uh what who who was the which lady was it there was somebody there Uh, Uh, i i think it was a new it was a new lady this is probably maybe that was a chambermaid yeah yeah and 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 so basically um like at that point they you know they wake him up and they ask like you know he's like oh it was a man named wellington she's like i don't know who you're talking about and then uh, and then he pulls out, and then he pulls out a doily, I think, right? Because he was handed a doily earlier. Uh, it's a handkerchief. Handkerchief, I believe. It's a fancy. Yeah, I wrote down doily, and then at the end he uses as a handkerchief. So uh, I had to go back and correct that. Uh, but yeah, it has the initials uh, JWB on them. Yeah. So then he realizes that it was John Wilkes Booth, you know. And then they're like, "Oh, well, he does live here." I'm like, "Oh, well, that that all makes sense then, you know." And then, uh, then it gets even weirder for a second because, um. He, he Corgan's saying, well, you know, Lincoln's going to get shot. And then we hear three voices that are kind of random. Like just, I don't know where they're coming from. They're like, Oh, the president's been shot. And then, and then you see the, you see a shot of a crowd staring at like at the camera, like an outside shot. And then it's like, and then that's it. Like suddenly like all yeah. the people were, cr- so it was weird. The officer and the chambermaid leave. They're sad. They leave. Uh, and he goes and bangs on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> He's like this. This just this is just a wannabe door, and he gets angry at it. No, that's not what happens. Um, yeah, yeah. It's like he starts yelling that it's too late, and uh, why why didn't you listen to me and everything? And as he's banging on the wall, it transitions to him banging on the club door again. Yeah, and so, you hear the sounds of cars and uh, modern times off camera, and uh, you realize that he's gone back to the future so my <laughs> argument for you is that door pounding is the secret to time travel because clearly that's how he got around he just he just doesn't realize it yet because he was pounding. Well, yeah so i mean technically if you pound on a door and walk through a door you have traveled through time <laughs> i mean granted you're only a forward time traveler but i guess that's accurate yes so just uh, just putting that out that's there true. uh we're all time travelers <laughs> uh, we are that's correct if, you know um our buddy el goro said that we need to make shirts of hyperion jumping out of a window i think we also need to have a shirt that says we're all time travelers <laughs> <laughs> it's well i mean that's you don't people may not realize that but we all are so there yeah. you go that's yeah. your minds are blown you know there you go. have a time headache yeah, after I, that i'm 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 probably not the first person to say that. <laughs> Just gonna put that out there. <laughs> I don't want to take too much credit for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah so where were we? Yeah. So he's back in modern times, and uh, he walks back into the club after a waiter opens the door, and it is a different attendant. And he's like, oh, you just left. You're back so soon. And he asks, uh, what happened to William, the attendant that was there in the beginning of the episode? And he's told that there is no William here. So he walks back over to the table with the guys he was playing cards with. And they've now moved on to a new subject, which was they were <laughs> they were discussing about uh, how to amass fortunes, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the conversation we all have on a Friday night <laughs> at a gentleman's club. Yeah. 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 So, uh, He's talking to everyone, and then there's somebody new at the table, and we find out that William is now at the table, and he explains that his great-grandfather was an officer that was uh, going around town trying to stop John Wilkes Booth from killing the president, and um, he ended up having quite the career after all that and uh, became pretty wealthy, and uh, that William, who was at the beginning of the episode, has now... Uh, come into a pretty big fortune through his family. Yeah, and then whenever he uh, comments, uh, whenever um, Corrigan's like, "Well, didn't you used to work here?" and he's like, basically, he's like, you know, I he kind of says something like, "I'm not bothered by someone, you know, asking if I've worked before, but I've, you know, but I've never been a servant here or something to that effect, you know." So, yeah. um, and then you know, you just kind of get this whole thing of like, you, you figure out that. Uh, even though not much happened, it was a small ripple, and it was very—it's very Bradbury in the way that time did change, but it was just very, very adjacent to to the major event. And yeah, then- talk about like sleight of hand. Where um, this is something that I can appreciate with this episode, which might not be very memorable in the grand scheme of all the Twilight Zone, but it's almost a sleight of hand where they have you focusing on the whole John Wilkes Booth thing and Lincoln. And then when you get to the final twist, it's something so minuscule that it I almost appreciate it. Where it's like you thought this episode was going to be about changing the history of Lincoln being shot, but you've actually just changed one person's life. Yeah. I mean, or, you're right, you know, or one family. It, yeah. Yeah. Just one person who used to be attendant who is now uh, very well off, you know, and it, it was almost like misdirection where they had you focusing on one thing. And then one small aspect of this episode was the actual twist, which, like I said, is not memorable in the grand scheme of things. And I guess is a problem because I'll probably forget about the <laughs> plot of this um, maybe a few weeks down the line. But as of this moment, I kind of appreciated how small the actual twist was. Well, it was interesting. So I keep hitting my microphone because I'm just so distraught. Uh, and uh, so Corrigan, <laughs> he pulls he pulls the handkerchief out and looks at it again. So it's odd that his entire clothes change from going like when he goes back in time, his clothes change. Then he goes forward, his clothes change back. But he's able to hang on to the handkerchief. You know, I guess I guess that feels like a King Nine move to me, and it's okay. Um, I don't know if we necessarily needed it because I think the evidence of his journey was already there, you know? Yeah. And yeah. William is the evidence. Like yeah. uh, you definitely don't need that. Um, uh, there's another episode. Um, I, I'm trying to think of what episode it was where, uh, he comes back with something. Um, well, the, well I mean, King nine had the sand in the shoes. Yeah. There's yeah. the sand in the shoes. And then there was, uh, um, the one with the actor. Why can't I think of that? I think it was this season. Um, the the world a world of difference. No, because that's uh, that was the one where he was between his his real life and then the acting life, right? Um, yeah. Oh no, no, you're talking about Trouble at Templeton. Yeah, Trouble at Templeton, where he had the script. Yeah, Trouble at yeah. Templeton. Well, and he comes about- back and he has the script on him. <laughs> For- I that was the episode <laughs> that kept popping into my head when I saw the handkerchief at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a familiar device, and I'm sure this is not the last time we're going to see it. Uh, I just didn't know if it was needed here, and I guess I'm always going to kind of be. With Trouble with Templeton, it was needed because that was his affirmation that it happened. You know, definitely, and, and, yeah, yeah, and and for him alone. And I still I mean, I guess I guess the Corrigan looking at it too realized he went back in time. Other than the fact that the guy he knows is now a rich guy, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but it, it feels okay. very, it, it feels very Bradbury to me and how how small it is but how magnificent it is at the same time in the sense like i know i think it was i've not read the story so people can, can tell me i'm wrong because i proved that a lot tonight um a distant sound of thunder uh it was these people would go back in time and then the name of the company was one name but at the very end of the story um you you pass by the sign and the, and the name of the company is spelled a little differently. It's like one small detail showing that they don't understand the magnitude of, of what they're messing with, you know? And it's, it's interesting as a concept to talk around a table with your friends. I I just don't know if this episode handles it the best. And that's kind of frustrating. 
again, it, uh, you know, we talk a lot on the show about Sterling being rushed and getting these ideas out there. And I think there are good ideas here. I just, I, I think they didn't transla- translate to screen as well as they probably should have. So um, again, that could have been from him cutting it down from an hour to 20 minutes. Um, I mean, I guess that's probably a big part of the issue in this episode. There's probably um, like 10 other doors they pounded on. There's like, I got to cut all this out. We only, we need five. Well, um, <laughs> 15 more minutes of this was just him crawling around on the apartment floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so Buck Houghton said, uh, it's, it's when you play ducks and drakes with the shooting of Lincoln, your suspension of disbelief goes to hell in a bucket. So I don't know what ducks and drakes is, but basically he's saying, if you're going to screw around with the story in which the Lincoln gets shot and you're trying to prevent it, he's like, you know, you pretty, he's on the side of like, it still happens. So the story doesn't, it's not going to hold much weight. And yeah. And that's the thing. Like, again, I was saying about, uh, they're really feeling like there's no uh, issues in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like they're trying to create this great mystery and this great, uh, I guess, sense of dread with the music and everything. Um, but it, there really is no mystery because you know the final outcome. Like Lincoln's still going to get shot. Like you can you can figure that out from the beginning. So. It, 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 you're, it, it's almost like you're just watching nothing happen. <laughs> yeah. So uh, this, um, I, I was going to mention, there was at least two other time travel stories on the radio involving uh, efforts to save Lincoln before this one was presented. So you, you got to, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Maybe Sterling heard it because there's a lot of stuff that he listened to and kind of absorb. Someone wrote him a letter and I don't have it in front of me because it's kind of long, but they basically pitched him the idea like, what if an episode starts off with a bullet just missing Lincoln or barely grazing him? And then you go through the episode seeing the the later presidency of Lincoln and how all Lincoln and how all the changes or the challenges he would face would eventually break him down and kind of kind of sour him. And then eventually mm-hmm. he's being he, he's being visited by like on his deathbed by um, by a, a higher being saying, hey, um, we can go back to that moment where you almost got shot and you can die there or you can, you know, because you're at, the, at that time you were the symbol of inspiration and of change or you can, you know, we can just, you know, call it quits here. And he was like, well, why would I want to go back there? And it's like basically it's just this whole thing of like, you know, where was he going to be? was he going to be the man that everybody holds him up to be now because he died, you know, so quickly and, and, you know, into his presidency. Well, not, I guess not quickly because he was served as a second term, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Like his impact was right there, you know? And so yeah. eventually the, the, the person says, well, then Lincoln would eventually make the decision and they would go back and you would show him getting shot. And that'd be the end of the episode. That to me is a really, it's the same thing, but not. And I think that's really interesting because you would have had Lincoln, you know, turning it over in his head of like, do I really want to do this or not? And that was kind, yeah. of, kind of interesting. Would you still have cast, uh, um, um, what is his name? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Russell Johnson as Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> no, I would have cast John LaSalle as uh, Jonathan Wellington, AKA John Wilkes Booth. Like what if, what if they would have called him Jonathan Wellington banks or something just to throw you <laughs> off? I know. I just love how on the nose Jonathan yeah. Welling is. Yeah. And he's dressed in like all black wearing a cape. <laughs> It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's no twist with him. Uh, he's definitely John Wilkes Booth. Awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, th- that that does sound like a more interesting story. But it sounds more like a character thing overall about speaking to Lincoln as opposed to the effects of time travel. I don't, I, don't, I mean, this is, it's perfectly fine. We're going to see probably more like this. And I knew, and I and I know the further we go along, which by the way, we're almost a third of the way through the series now. I just realized, you know, when I was looking at the numbers. Um, yeah. We we're going to see shades of these different ideas, and we saw a lot in the first season. And this, you know, like something like walking distance addressed, you know, this, the idea of going back home, uh, you know, and then like execution is like just because you can take something from the past doesn't mean you should. And then this is more like, you know, sometimes things happen that can, you know, the big things can't be changed, but if you meddle, other things can happen. So it's all, it's all speaking to not the dangers of wanting to look backwards, but there's always, there's always a hesitation because things happen the way they did. Just the effects of meddling with time travel. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And again, 
Like it's it's a good concept and it's proven, and it was probably easy to uh, put together a screen uh, teleplay for it. So yeah. why not? Well, I can't yeah. wait for our movie in which you and I go back in time to witness, to try to stop the JFK assassination, but we don't do that at all. But then somehow we ended up causing somebody to open up like an ice cream parlor in Dallas and they end up becoming like the ice cream king of Texas or something like that. That's going to be our movie, you know? Uh, <laughs> I just, that's what it feels like, right? That's what it's just like. I, w- I want to be the ice cream king of <laughs> Dallas. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so. That's this episode. That's this episode. Um, yeah, I'm I'm trying to look through my notes. Um, really like the the camera work in the beginning of the episode, uh, especially the stuff with Serling. Um, really enjoyed the set design. Um, performances were kind of flat across the board. I did like the officer that was trying to help him. I thought he had some realistic responses to. Uh, what Corrigan was saying and everything. Um, John Wilkes Booth, I liked for uh, certain reasons. I don't think it was the best <laughs> performance, but uh, as far as my interests in horror and that kind of over the top theatrical hammer horror and all that kind of stuff, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but other than that, it's, it's kind of a forgettable plot. I'm, I, I think this episode is going to be most memorable for me just because of that incredible Jerry Goldsmith score that I was talking about. Yeah. Like no, that's, that's honestly the MVP of this episode is that score. It is incredible. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to post the, there's like a 12 minute track on YouTube. I'm going to post it on the Facebook right now. So by the time this episode is up, if you want to listen to it, uh, go check it out. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So, um, I guess we got to do this before we we head out. Uh, Let's just do the twist. So I guess I'm going to give this, I'm giving it a two because something did change, but it was like small. I mean, small in the terms of the story, but you know, big in the, the life of the attendant, but it's like Lincoln still got shot. You didn't even see Lincoln. You never even, you just saw, you know, Capes Willoughby, run out the door saying, maybe I do believe you, you know, and then that's it, you know? So I just, I, I, there just wasn't anything here really that got me other than, oh, I did go back and something small changed. It didn't, nothing about that really surprised me. Um, I'm gonna make a weird confession before I give my, uh, my twist rating. I'm kind of happy we didn't see Lincoln because I, I have this weird, I've always been kind of creeped out by the shadowy image of Lincoln. (laughs) I, he's there's a, just it's an opposing silhouette it's it's creepy yeah, yeah. There, there's just something in a lot of a lot of the photographs from that time and paintings and everything you know i i, th- I believe if i'm not mistaken he had some health issues and everything um yeah he got shot in the head well, <laughs> god damn it <laughs> uh, no outside of his disease i don't know if you yeah. know that all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, but no, he's, he's always, he's got this kind of shadowy dark presence and, uh, I've always been kind of creeped out by it. So I was kind of glad he didn't pop up in this. Um, especially with that music, I would have been totally creeped out. That's Um, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, my, as far as my rating for this twist goes, I think I'm going to give it a three just because of what we talked about with the misdirection as I was so focused on the assassination of Lincoln and him stopping John Wilkes Booth, I did not expect the final twist to be as subtle as it actually was. And like I said, at this time, after uh, watching this episode not too long ago, um, I enjoyed that, though I'm concerned about how that's going to hold up in the future as far as uh, how memorable it's going to be when I think back to this episode. Um, so ask me in a few months, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you're on the Facebook page and, uh, you're listening to this later on, uh, reach out and ask me if I even remember this twist <laughs> and what I would rate it if I do remember it. Cause I could totally see this going down. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed the episode. Uh, it, it's a breeze to watch. Like I said, it moves at a breakneck speed. Uh, so it, it definitely doesn't drag. Um, Unless you're talking about Russell Johnson's character on the floor. Uh, that's the only thing that drags in yeah. this episode. Uh, 
but it, so it's an easy watch. It's fun, but I, I enjoyed that, that little twist more than I probably should. So I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see where it'll, how it'll hold up uh, later on. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of in the camp of the, the end dialogue that Sterling put on there where he, I didn't write the whole thing down, but he wrote with highly questionable results. That's kind of where I land on this episode. So yeah. that's, I think that's, yeah, I, yeah. I feel conflicted because, uh, I just I love this music and I love the, the way great. this episode looks. Um, it's just it, yeah, not the strongest teleplay. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it uh, for us talking about back there, Kevin. How can people get a hold of us? Uh, you can find us on Facebook, Strange Highways Podcast. Join the conversation on there. Um, like I said, ask me in a few months how I feel about this episode <laughs> if you want. Um, you can find us on Instagram, also at Strange Highways Podcast. Um, I've, I haven't updated in a few weeks cause I haven't had anything twilight zone going on in my life. So, um, but keep an eye on over there. Uh, you can email us at strange highways podcast at gmail.com. If you want to leave us uh, voicemails, if you want to send us emails, we'll read them on the show. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Satchel, Podbean, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts. And it would really help us out if you guys would leave us five star review on there. Um, get us a little bit more visible on some of these websites. Yeah, absolutely. So next episode is uh, yet another shot on video masterpiece. Who knows? I haven't seen it. Uh, but this will be the, th- the third of the six of them. So we're going to be halfway through the video episodes. Uh, it's called, through. Yeah, it's called The Whole Truth. Um, I believe it deals with the car salesman that can't lie. So uh, this actually be, it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, there is no Serling tease for this, to my knowledge. I think the video ones just weren't because of just the way they were shot. So, um, yeah. So next time, uh, we're going to be watching The Whole Truth. Uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, I don't know if you want to tease uh, the potential of a guest in a couple of weeks. But I know coming up soon, we're hoping to have somebody on the show. Uh, more details as that comes. Yeah, we'll... we'll uh We'll just tease it and say there's a guest coming. <laughs> yes. It's, uh, it's going to be awesome. And uh, once we get closer, I'll actually announce uh, who that's going to be. So Absolutely. Cool. Just keep an eye on the Facebook, too. All right. <laughs> so uh, that's going to do it for us this time. Uh, so just be careful what doors you pound on because you might end up back in time. And if you do, just, just save goddamn Lincoln. It wasn't that hard. I'm afraid I'm going to have to leave time travel to H.G. Wells. I'm much too tired to go into any more metaphysics this evening. Oh, I'll probably see you over the weekend. Don't get lost back in time now, Corrigan. I certainly shall not. <laughs>